So 2 Thessalonians, last week Sam did 1 Thessalonians, I'm not going to rehash uh, all he did there, but uh, a lot of it, same author, obviously it's Paul, and we're just a few months after when he wrote 1 Thessalonians, he writes 2 Thessalonians, there's only three chapters, so we'll only be here for three hours tonight, so it won't be too bad, we get to read it all over and over again now. Again, this is just a survey, this is just... One night looking at a book of the Bible. We've been doing this for some 50 Wednesday nights. I don't know what we're on, how many more we got, but we're getting near the end. We're approaching the end of the New Testament. Uh, So one book each night. These shorter books are a little bit easier to do. The long books like Psalms and Romans are more difficult. Small book, three chapters, probably, uh, actually probably written about three to four years after 1 Thessalonians. And that would probably put in the time frame about mid-50 A.D., somewhere in there, 55 A.D., somewhere in there. Uh, That's, of course, about 15 years before Israel is going to rebel against uh, Rome. And that's going to then cause Titus to uh, sack the city of Jerusalem and wipe out the temple, and the Jews are going to all scatter everywhere. Herod's temple is going to be destroyed at 70 AD. So you're starting to get this persecution of Christians, the Jewish people, and even, you know, of course, the apostles, and they're spreading throughout all of the Europe area, and the gospel is spreading. It's important to remember that uh, there's only two temples that have ever been there in Jerusalem. Of course, the first temple was Solomon's temple that he built with uh, all of David's instruction, and it was huge and elaborate and gorgeous and gold everywhere and just uh, very well done, well built. The Babylonians, they come and they destroy it. They send the Israelites into uh, exile. The temple's destroyed. Then about eh, 20 BC, Herod the Great comes back and he wants to rebuild the temple. Uh, They rebuild it. It's not as built as great as it was. It's not, uh, but it's, it's there. And even today, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see a little bit of Herod's temple there, the, the remnants of it or the top of it. But basically today, it's a mosque. It is like the third holiest Muslim shrine that you could ever go to. Um, and it's important to note that the Jews are not going in there. The Jews are not going in that temple. They're never going to be able to go in that temple. You have to be Muslim in order to get into that. Uh, so we need to bear that in mind as we read uh, this book, Second Thessalonians, because it's going to talk about some things that are going to happen before Christ returns. Uh, before we start in Second Thessalonians, you don't have to look there, but I'm going to read a passage out of Acts 17. You don't have to go there. Acts 17, and this is uh, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those of, the, of Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Verse 13, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul and Berea, they came there and also stirred up the crowds. So you have these Thessalonian Jews that hate these new Christians. They are causing up trouble. There is persecution happening. They're chasing them down. Paul and Silas are on the run. They go to Thessalonica, but they're not there for long. They go to Berea, 
and they're, they're still persecuting. So these Jews are despising and persecuting and harassing these new believers. Uh, the new church that Paul starts in Thessalonica, he wasn't there for long, but he was long, in there, there enough, long enough there to start uh, to get some new believers, mostly Gentile. But there's a lot of persecution that is happening. So Paul then is going to write about this persecution. There's basically three things, three chapters I'm going to pose to you tonight. There's basically three items that Paul wanted to address in this second letter to this church. The first one is going to be talking about this persecution that they're facing, the difficulty that they're, uh, they're going to face. Look at uh, first, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So these Thessalonian Jews hate these new believers. They hate them with all that they can hate. And they're chasing them, they're harassing them, they're, they're making it life very difficult for them. It's more than just social media bullying. This is like life and death kind of stuff. So it's intense, okay? Uh, the Thessalonian Christians are living in a community where the Jews are always out there to get them. So this, if you're a Thessalonian Christian, a new believer, uh, I'm sure it would be easy for you to hate the Jews that are coming up against you. But that is not what Paul wanted them to do. He says in here, basically he says, look, God is handling this. He knows exactly who you are and what you're facing. He's not surprised by your difficulty. Uh, and God understands. He understands what's going on. But he says in this passage that the end is coming for them. If you do not put your faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what anyone that doesn't do that has to look forward to is you're going to be perishing with everlasting destruction, according to verse 9. <laughs> Yay! That sounds fun. Sign me up. So there's coming a day that God will deal with people that are attacking you. That's what Paul is saying. There's coming a day where God will justice, with his justice, he will act, and he will bring justice to every situation. It's coming. Now, it's important for us to remember that when the Bible says things like love your enemies and when they're hitting you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. And, uh, uh, you know, for those that despise you or persecute you, which there's some of that, but not at the level, I would say, in first century A.D. Our persecution in America is not at that level. You can say I got a mean comment on Facebook. Okay, Um, just toughen up and you'll be all right. Um, But I I do believe there will come a day where and we're probably heading there where you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, well, it's going to cost you something. Um, But here Paul says, you only get away with your sin. The only way I got away with my sin, I didn't really get away with it, and you didn't either if you put your faith and trust in Christ, but it's only because of the blood of Christ that your sin is covered by that. It's the only way you are then righteous, Not yeah, you're made right in front of a righteous and holy God. When he looks at me, he sees the blood of his Savior that died on a cross covering my sin. The one without sin died for me and you, the ones with all the sin. God's unbelievable act of love and gift that he gave us. 
So he says here, Paul says, they're not going to get away with their evil they're doing, the things they're doing to persecute you. God knows. God will righteously and in his timing and in his way, there will be an eternal judgment for what they do or don't do with Jesus and what they do and don't do according to those that follow him. They will not get away with it. Um, and when they're destroyed, it's not a pretty picture. They're destroyed, it's, it's a horror picture. It's everlasting uh, judgment of God. It's not going to be good. And I try to apply this to today, and I say we don't have much persecution, but there is persecution of Christians. For sure, worldwide, there's persecution of Christians all the time. People dying for their faith. As the spread of Islam is happening, and uh, and it's happening all over the world. Number one religion right now, numerically for sure, is that spreading. But you have this, rad- uh, this uh, radical wing of it called ISIS, or if you want to call it ISIS-K, or the Taliban, or the whomever. They're not all the same, they're different. But you see these people that do evil things like flying airplanes into buildings and other things that kill Christians. Horrible things that are happening. And when these horrible things happen, whether it's here or an embassy that blows up or whatever it is, God, where are you in your justice? Where are you in your righteousness in making this right? How can you let, whether they were Christians that died, just innocent people getting killed by these people? ISIS today, I think, would be the same thing of these these Jews that are harassing these first century followers, these new believers, these babies in Christ following him. They're making it very difficult. I think in our, in our nation, there's kind of been a shift. According to Romans 13, the government is responsible for making sure ISIS is scared of not attacking us. You attack us, there's going to be a, a swift uh, uh, reaction to whatever you do. And uh, I don't know if our government does that as well these days. I'm not sure if they're really scared of us. But that's the, that's the job of the government, to put the fear of God, <laughs> uh, don't come after America. Instead, we're commanded, I said, love our enemies, pray for those that persecute you and make it difficult for you to believe. Um, we're supposed to love everybody, no matter what. Who is your enemy? I would say for sure ISIS is your enemy. They for sure think you're our, I mean, we're their enemy. American, Christians, you name, you name the reasons, but they don't like us. But it's kind, of, it's kind of swapped in our nation where it's like the Christians that are supposed to love no matter what are the ones that are trying to take up arms and we're, we're going to give all this hate message and we're going to uh, you know, do all these things and the government's doing nothing when actually it should be the opposite. It should be the government protecting us and it should be the Christians, the Christ followers, the church that says we love no matter the evil you do, we love you. Because your soul, who you are, matters to Christ and he died for everybody. So that was my take at trying to apply uh, persecution to, uh, to the first century and then also to today. And we're, we're, we're challenged to love those. Why? Our job is to love them, pray for them, um, because no matter what they do to us, they're not going to take my relationship with Christ away. If they cause me to die, then I go meet Christ sooner. I'm not here to be a I'm not a kamikaze, I'm not any, you know, I don't want to uh, do, be one of those people, but my, my hope is not in this life, my hope is in the life to come. And one day the evil they do, they will pay for it. According to this passage, they will. Um, Second Th- uh, 
Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Paul is praying that their witness, the God that they love, that their, their calling would be worthy of all that Christ did for them on the cross. So the first thing he addresses is this persecution. That they're still supposed to love them and know that God can handle, uh, he will handle everyone's decision they make for or against Christ. And uh, that's everybody. But then there's another passage and maybe a little bit more difficult one. Uh, and it's the second issue that Paul's going to address. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So apparently what had happened is someone had... And now you have to understand, they don't have the entire Bible as we have it today. They probably don't even have most of the Old Testament unless the Jews somehow lended them, but probably not. Really all they got is maybe that first letter that Paul wrote to them, 1 Thessalonians, uh, and they have what Paul teached them in the, in the little bit of time he was there with them. So they don't have a lot uh, to keep their foundation, to keep them from letting heresy or false things come into their church. And what happens is maybe a guy or, or a woman, some person comes in and says, um, oh yeah, I got, a, I got a letter from Paul here. He texted it to me today and uh, it said, uh, Jesus already come. Jesus has already come and there's a couple problems with that, right? The first is, we're still here. The believers, the new believers in Christ, if Jesus came and we're still here, that's a problem. That means this persecution, if you're then witnessing that, this persecution is God's judgment, and this is now tribulation, and this is the end times, and all this stuff. Now, we're looking on the other side, and we're looking 2,000 years later, and like, duh, of course Jesus didn't come then. But if you were there in that first century, why wouldn't he come? you have any reason to think he didn't? So many things about him coming back were not spelled out so clearly. It could happen at any moment. So Paul is going to address that. Someone had come and said he's come back. And Paul's like, no, <laughs> it hasn't. So just calm down. Because I'm sure they're terrified. Without, in addition to the persecution, they're wondering if they miss Jesus coming back. They have all, they're terrified. They have all this fear that Jesus had already come. So uh, it's good as you read these things to remember that there are a lot of stupid things that people follow and they, they claim to be true that's really not true, it's false. Which is a good reason to know God's word, to, uh, to examine it, to, to say, is that really biblical or is that just some person's thoughts? Because everyone has thoughts. They're not all biblical. Uh, Benny Hinn, y'all know who Benny Hinn is? Anyone heard of him? Evidently, there was a video of him. He had this jacket this evangelist, maybe an evangelist of some kind, some sort of, well, anyhow, he had a jacket, and there had this big revival service accord. He's, he's swinging this jacket around, tossing it at people, and people are falling over left and right. They're getting slain in the spirit. Um, 
knocking them over, uh, hundreds of people knocked over on the stage, and, and you see this video on YouTube, you can watch videos, whatever, and, and you read these, some of these comments, and of course, there are the people that, like me, that are skeptical, and I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, seems to be an act of some sort, but, but then when you read other comments, you'll, say, you'll see people, oh yeah, I was there, or yeah, he healed me, oh yeah, I believe in that. People will follow all sorts of things. There's a lot of brain-dead things out there. Be careful what, you, what and who you follow because Paul does give us enough. He, he, he clarifies here in this chapter they haven't missed Jesus coming back because some, so, certain things are going to happen before Jesus comes back. And he's going to outline some of those things. And those things had not happened, so it hasn't happened. Um, Paul's going to prove it to them that they have not missed him. Go on in chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin, who's the man of sin? Nick Saban? No? No? Are y'all awake out there? Do y'all know who Nick Saban is? Alabama fans, anyone? You're an Alabama fan? Okay, good. Good. Did y'all hear the news? A&M beat Alabama? I did not buy the shirt that says we own Alabama because we beat them like twice in 14 years, but whatever. <laughs> Go big when you can, I guess. Uh, anyhow, Nick Saban is not the Antichrist. That was just a joke, and y'all did not laugh at all, so pushing through. Tough crowd tonight. All right, get some coffee. Uh, yeah, he says, uh, Paul says, before Christ is going to come back, the Antichrist has to come. And not only does the Antichrist have to come, but he has to get in the temple and he has to profane it. He's going to profane the temple. The Antichrist is going to come. He's going to claim allegiance with Christ. He's going to mislead the Jews. He's going to reunite them. They're going to all come back to Jerusalem. He's going to rebuild the temple. Again, right now, the temple is not rebuilt. There's no temple. And the temple that was there, Herod, the great temple, uh, Christian Jews, believing Jews, Jews in general, they're not going in there. Only Muslims are. So right now there's still a problem. Antichrist is going to come. He's going to get in that temple that I guess is going to be rebuilt. He's going to profane that temple. However, today is the perfect timing. The, the Jews want a temple. Um, they can't go into Herod's temple. That's Muslim country. USA Today, a couple years ago, reported that there's talk of a third temple being rebuilt. Jerusalem is recognized as the capital of Israel. Which, yeah. So, Antichrist is going to come. He's going to profane. He's going to get in the temple and profane it. But then there's a third thing that has to happen in verse 6. And now you know... And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. You, you get like one sentence and, you know, years or huge things are happening. The Bible understates what these huge things mean. Oh yeah, God speaks with the breath of his mouth and then the Antichrist is just gone. He's not existent anymore. Uh, That's how powerful our God is. But he says something has to happen. 
before the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And that's something that's going to have to happen. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it for y'all. But it's Matthew 16, 18, if you want to write it down. What is the only thing that the Antichrist, Satan, cannot prevail against? Simon Peter is being questioned by Jesus, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against Peter. No, that's not it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the rock. Nope. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church I build. The church is here. We are the church. We are the indwellers of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones that the gates of hell, his plan, his schemes, his things cannot fully occur with the church here. The only institution the Antichrist can't conquer is the church. So then the only logical thought process would be that we have to be removed. Jesus doesn't come back for us. There's going to be two comings. The first coming, he came and he was born in the cradle. Emmanuel lives 30 years, dies on a cross, resurrected. Second coming, he's coming on a horse, flame and fire, and there's going to be judgment everywhere. That second coming, I believe it's not for the believers. The believers are already gone. The rapture has already happened. Now, Tim LaHaye has the whole disappearing and how does the rapture happen? There can be differing thoughts. I think you can be a Christian and have a different philosophy of how that's going to happen and go about. I don't think we know all the how it's going to happen, but God's people, God's church, which some people in the church might still be around after God takes his followers home, uh, it's true. Not everyone on the church role is probably saved. I hope so. I hope we all are. But God only knows that. When the rapture happens and one of two things happens. Either we disappear and planes crash and all this thing. There's chaos in the world because there's probably Christian pilots and all that. That could be one way. Or the other way could be we just die. We just, our, bo- our, body, our soul leaves and our body falls over and we're not, that's just a shell. We're not there anymore. We're with, in heaven with our Savior. God takes the church home. And when the church is taken home and the Holy Spirit that is in us is gone, then the Antichrist is revealed, and nothing stops him. Nothing stops him from, no nation stops him. And, uh, you know, I like, I like the theory of maybe we just die, because then if, if the Antichrist is there, and we've lived through a coronavirus or other diseases, he could easily explain, yeah, yeah, some disease just killed off that many people. It would be hard to explain how millions of people just disappear. I'm sure they can come up with a way, or, or the news could change the angle and work it however they want to you know, convey the story. But uh, the Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to show his, his power. The church then is not there to hold him back. Um, he's going to go... Uh, he's going to go and he's going to rebuild the temple. I'm sure it wouldn't be hard for him, if, even right now, if he went to the Israelis, and he went to the Palestinians and said, hey guys, let's come together, and they're all going to unite under him, and hey, this is really great. This is the beginning of this seven-year tribulation. Things are going to get really bad, 
um, and I'm grateful that I believe the Christians are gone before this happens. There are others that believe the Christians go through it. Um, I've given you my reasons why I think we're not here, but uh, three, he makes this deal with Israel, and he's going to build this temple. Maybe it takes three and a half years to build it. He's going to go in this temple that supposedly he's a believer, but then he's going to show his true colors, and he's going to say, I am God. He's going to defame the temple. He's going to blaspheme the, word, the, the God that supposedly he served. And the Jews are going to open their eyes. And they're going to see that they followed the wrong guy. Revelation talks about then eventually they're going to see, that, they're going to see who they really did. The Messiah, the Jesus Messiah that they killed actually was the Savior. And many Jews might then come to know him. So there's this process that has to happen. I believe... Paul is teaching here, the church has to be removed so that the Antichrist then comes. The Antichrist then is going to rebuild the temple. That hasn't happened yet either. And then the Antichrist is going to blaspheme God in that very temple. So he's presenting this case that none of those things have happened yet, church of Thessalonica. You're good. Don't worry about that. Then go on. He goes on into verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they do not receive the love, the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, and they should, be, they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Again, you see this eternal punishment that's going to happen, this condemnation that's going to happen for those that do not put their faith and trust in Christ. I love the fact, even before that in verses earlier, you know, the fight of, of Jesus Christ between him and the Antichrist. You know, we have this picture of like the Avengers, and it's going to be this huge battle. You know, computer graphics are going to be crazy, and all, this, all these great actors. It's going to be this epic battle. It's not going to be a huge battle, it's going to be over fast. Jesus is going to be like, you know, speak a word, and fire's going to come out, and he's going to be gone. That's going to be it. There's really no question in scriptures of who is more powerful, God or Satan. When Satan came after God and wanted to be God, God banished him and a third of the angels with him, and they're, and they're now not in the, in the heavenly realm. God is the one that's all-powerful. He's not uh, afraid of the Antichrist or Satan or his plans or his schemes or anything like that. Um, so the second issue is the coming of the Lord Jesus, how that's going to happen, when it's going to happen, who it happens for, and should I be worrying about it? Of course, there should be an expectation that for any of us, any believers of Christ, Jesus could come back tonight. No, let me rephrase that. Jesus could call us home tonight. Okay? If he calls us home tonight, I pray I'm gone. I hope, I believe I'm gone. I have faith I'm gone. Uh, and then at that point, then other things start dominoing and happening. Because the Antichrist will then become known, and then the tribulation really starts. Um, so we shouldn't live in fear of the second coming of Christ. We should live in anticipation. Because for the believers, for Christians, uh, it's like the best thing there could be. Unless, of course, you're living for the world, and you're living for all the worldly things, and all the possessions I can have, and all the things that are going to be burned up in fire that are not going to last. If that's what I'm living for, then you're not living for the right thing. Seek first the kingdom of God. Follow him. Put your treasures in heaven where they won't get burned up by fire. 
so that's the second issue. The third issue he's going to address, address in chapter uh, 3. Look at verse 6 uh, through, through 8. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with our labor and toiled night and day, and we might not be a burden to any of you. Then drop down to 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now that's a strong statement. You have the ultimate welfare statement here. Uh, Basically, if you don't work, you don't eat. Paul is saying, "Don't pay these guys. Uh, don't don't pay these guys that are that are under the overpasses." Paul would say, uh, "Now, there are extenuating circumstances. If you know someone that has lost their job, and we've gone through a thing and all this stuff, and there's circumstances, okay. It's not that the person doesn't want to work." But they're in between jobs, and, they, and they're, having, they're having a hard time making ends meet, and you want to help someone out, then by all means be generous and help them out. But you and I also know there's plenty of people. I don't, I like three million job openings right now, and yet there's how many people that don't want to work because I'm just going to wait for a stimulus package from the government? Be careful with that. So that's called socialism slash Marxism slash I don't need to work. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to be a, a taker. I'm just going to take and take and take. We are commanded biblically to work if we can. We are commanded to provide for our family. We are commanded to do the things, uh, to show good work ethic, to do these things. Um, so I think here Paul, Paul had a problem. There were people, I don't know if it's because they think Jesus already came or he's going to come really soon. It doesn't really matter what I do now. I don't need to work. I'm just going to wait for Jesus or whatever it was. They're not working. And Paul didn't mince words, did he? Was he unclear? If you don't work, you don't get food. You don't come to the church then and expect them to bail you out because you're not doing anything to bail yourself out. I think it's, a, it's, it's right there. It's right what Paul said. It was a problem then. I still think there's benevolence funds or things that you can do, but we have people that all around here that you try, we try to meet with who it is and find out their answers, but is it legitimate they don't want to work or do they just need money so they can go down to the drugstore or the alcohol store or the whatever? Or they need gas. We don't, we don't just give them money. We take them down to the gas and we pump the gas into their car and then they're on their way. Because if you give them money, who knows what they're going to do with that money. Probably you could defer what they're going to do with it. It's not to be unloving to people, but I think it is to be a good steward of what God manages here at the church. Um, and uh, so I think, yeah, if, if your mentality, and even in the coronavirus and all this stuff, if, you know, if I can work at home, great. If you're still working, I would not be able to work forever at home by myself. It would drive me nuts. But if that's, you can do that, then great. But if you're just going to sit at home and not work, I don't think that's biblical. Paul here addresses that. I don't think you're doing the right thing. So that's my two cents on that. Um, he, ends the, he ends this short book 
verse 16 of chapter 3. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. According to 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, uh, he prays three times for some infirmity to be uh, removed from him, some difficulty he's facing. Uh, and uh, God did not remove it. He did not take the difficulty out of his life. So he's living with it, and uh, it's so bad, maybe he can't even write the end of this letter, or someone else is having to transcribe it, write it. Regardless, Paul says, regardless of what happens to me, he says, I want God's grace to rest with you in your life. No infirmity, no matter how difficult it is in his life, ever reminds him or, or, or removes him from his trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did for him. Powerful, powerful end to the book. So three things I would say this book is about. Persecution, chapter 1. It's happening. God, God knows. And there will be a righteous judgment for all one day. And secondly, the return of Christ is going to happen. There's certain things have to happen before he comes back. And uh, they don't have to occur before we, the believers, leave. We could just be gone. And then the third, the third thing, if you don't work, you don't eat, there are consequences to lifestyle choices that you and I make. There's my summary of Second Thessalonians. Let me close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us again. I thank you that we can be here. Thank you for, through your Holy Spirit, inspiring and. Uh, these men, Paul here specifically, to write to this church. And I thank you that your word speaks to them then, but it also speaks to us now. And uh, I thank you that we have a hope we can look forward to, that even in difficult times, persecution or just troubling times that we see in the world around us and the evil that seems to be so prevalent, that we may rest assured that you are a sovereign God and a righteous God and, and uh, you're working your plan. All of creation is under your control and you're working your plan. And as we think of end times and how that happens, may we not live in fear or uh, tread what's going to happen or fear of that, but uh, may, we, may we look at it with anticipation. May we also have a, a, a sense of um, it could happen at any moment. May it give us a sense of urgency in how we live our lives and how we follow you and also how we might share our testimony, our story, uh, your love with others that don't know you because the day is coming. And if they had made a decision by that day, it's too late. They then will be eternally damned and uh, separated from you. So may we share our faith with those as we still can. And may we also work with just a, uh, an example uh, that our work is as unto you and that uh, where we can be generous to others, we might, but where we might need to be good stewards of the money that you give us that we might show discretion in where we give help and where we don't give help. Again, thank you for your word for each person here. May you continue to show your love to us through your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.